It is certainly a privilege to come together to serve the King of Kings beneath the banner of the cross on which he died. He gave his life so that we could live. We are thankful to be his followers, to be his subjects, to be the children of a great and glorious and perfect Father whom we are privileged to serve. Thank you for being here today, and I hope that our services will be beneficial to each of us as we grow closer to God, but also be pleasing to our God as we are doing our very best to serve Him as He richly deserves. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, where we're going to read a few verses at the outset of our study together today. We're appreciative, as Brother Matt pointed out, of our visitors. And for those who maybe haven't been here in quite some time, we're glad to see you. You are an encouragement to us, and it's good to be a part of this family. And we welcome you to this family if this is your first time with us, or maybe it's been a while since you've been with us. A couple of housekeeping things that uh, Matt does just a wonderful job with announcements. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is that everybody has their... Uh, talents and announcements are some of the most difficult things to do sometimes because people are handing you 20 different things all at once and then sometimes uh, we as preachers uh, are substitute announcers when we are given late announcements which are always important as well. Wanted to mention that uh, sister Lucille Job, uh, that is David's mother, is scheduled to have surgery on her right knee tomorrow. So apparently this is the week to have knee surgeries for members of the Lord's Church. And so there's going to be two of them this week. One on Thursday with Brother Jim, one Lord willing tomorrow with our sister Lucille. And she's actually going to be staying at the Job Hotel for three weeks as they help her recuperate. The other thing that I wanted to mention that Wendy asked me to mention, and if Wendy asked me to mention something, I'm going to mention it. I get in trouble if I don't, is that the ladies' study is scheduled and slated to start on March 21st. If you want more information, including a book about that, uh, be sure to see her. But that's coming up in just about five or six weeks away. I mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, I grew up with siblings. There, we grew up in a family of seven, five siblings and two parents. And so sometimes there were times when we didn't all get along. And that's the case with most of you who have siblings. You don't always like your brother or your sister growing up, especially at a young age. And sometimes you may accuse them of being uh, bratty or you may accuse them of being a little bit mean or mischievous. And you just have those arguments with one another. And sometimes, especially if you're the younger sibling, Growing up with four older siblings, someone may come to you and say, that's real mature of you. And you always loved hearing that, real mature. And I have entitled our sermon today, Real Mature, and you can take that however you want. It can either be real mature or it can be real mature, depending on the way of your inflection, the way that you choose to uh, put the emphasis on those words and their respective syllables But I want to talk about three marks of spiritually mature people. And this goes very well with Acts chapter 6 and what our brother David talked about in our Bible study this morning. And one of the points that David made near the midway point of the study today is that absence of problems in a local congregation don't determine that that congregation is going to be perfect or everything that it otherwise needs to be. And I thought his point was very well taken. And as I understood it, the point is, is that we don't look for a congregation or a family 
absent of problems because we know that we're going to have some issues. We're going to have some disagreements. We're going to have some times where we don't always see eye to eye. I'm not talking about doctrinal issues, though that'll be the case too, but it's up to us to study the word out. But there may be some matters of opinion where we disagree on some issues. And how we deal with those issues is what will strike us as being mature or not in service to our God. When I think about maturity in the Bible, I thought about looking at the various times that the word is used. And the most that the word mature occurs in the Bible is generally about nine times. But you may find it interesting that uh, most of us are studying from either the King James, New King James, New American Center, or the English Standard Version, that it is actually used zero times in the King James Version. So I thought, well, what are the substitute words? Because in the Bible that we read from this morning at the outset of our study, you'll notice in Philippians chapter 3 that the word mature was used in the version that we read from. And the same is true with the version that I'm reading from this morning. But you may find it interesting that the word mature is determined as one of full age. And that makes sense when you think about a person's physical maturity. You, you hope that a person, by the time that they are full age, whatever that may mean, uh, that that person is a mature individual. Mature both physically as well as socially or mentally, whatever the case may be. Sometimes the word is used as perfect. And we understand that the word perfect that is used in conjunction with maturity is different than the word perfect that is used to talk about the absence of any sort of a problem. We are to be perfect people, but we are never going to be perfect people. We understand what we mean by that. And thirdly, I thought this was interesting, and that is the word men is used as a substitute word for maturity. And that is not as men are more mature than women, because I'm sure that uh, a number of the wives would share that uh, they are more mature than their husbands. Uh, But the fact is, is as opposed to children, that generally speaking, we as grown-ups are a little more mature, not always, than those who are the little ones. And that's the point that I think the King James Version is trying to get at. I want to look at three different points, three marks of spiritual maturity. And then I want us to get very practical in about uh, the end of our sermon with two or three quick observations. I want us to start with this, and that is if you are a mature Christian or argue this way, a maturing Christian, because we never get to the point where we are satisfied with our level of maturity, we understand the value of unity. Because truly mature Christians strive for unity and they will do everything in their power to promote it. All of this leads to the applications that we're going to make at the close of our study together today. So just remember some of these points. And as always, if you'd like a copy of this slide, I'm happy to provide them to you electronically or on paper. That brings us to Ephesians chapter 4, a passage that is very familiar to you. But I want to reread these six or seven verses here in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 11. This is in an era where there were individuals who had spiritual gifts and an era where there were still apostles. You had Peter writing, you had John writing, you had Paul writing, you had some of these major characters on the forefront of New Testament Christianity. And so he says, beginning in verse 11, as the Holy Spirit directs Paul, 
He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And here's the reason that different people have different responsibilities or different talents. For the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. To this point, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a, here it is, a perfect or a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're measuring ourselves as based on how we stack up against Jesus Christ. So that, verse 11, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried away or about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up. If you like underlining things in your Bible, you might consider underlining the word, the, the phrase grow up, because that's, you know, when our, when our siblings said that's real mature, they might also say you need to grow up. And so he said, I want you to grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You know, this brings about the point that we almost always make, and I think it is an important point to make. And Brother Matt led us in prayer and recognized this, and that is different people have different abilities. And I'm glad for that, and I'm sure that you are as well. There are some who are very talented at preaching, and there are some who are really talented at song leading, and there are some who are really talented at teaching a children's class. And then there are some who are terrified of any or all of those opportunities to serve. And then there are some who are really talented at technology and working behind the scenes. There are some who are just really good at cleaning this building. There are some who are really good at making sure that the facilities function correctly and comfortably. And we have all these different people who are doing different things, oftentimes with little recognition and the fact is, is and, I, and David and I appreciate it, the, and I'm sure the elders appreciate it and the deacons as well, that we get mentioned in public services like this and you recognize the sacrifices we make and the work that we do and we're thankful for that. But think of all the people that go without thanks who are providing meals, providing rides, writing the notes, making the phone calls, doing all those things behind the scenes without any sort of recognition because everybody has a role to play to provide for this unity that we are trying to get at. Three things about this unity. Number one is the purpose is to build up the body. That's what we're trying to do. We are trying to build up our body individually as Christians as we mature. And I hope that as we individually mature, we also as a congregation, as a, as a local band of disciples, that we mature as well. Let me suggest to you, secondly, that the goal is unity of faith. We're all on the same page, and we're all doing the same thing, all with the same objective in mind. And that promotes the result, and the result of all of this is one thing, and that is growth of the body. But it makes perfect sense that patience is required in meeting this goal. 
And that's one of the reasons why we sometimes, as Brother David talked about in our Bible class this morning, that local congregations do sometimes have struggles because we have to work at patience in dealing with different people who are coming from different perspectives or different backgrounds. And as he was talking about Acts chapter 6 and talking about the idea of the Greek-based Christians versus the Jewish-based Christians, I was thinking about how would we, if you had maybe a fourth of this congregation uh, it'd be wonderful, but what if a fourth of this congregation, what if we grew by another 40 people and it was because of refugees that came from Islamic-based countries and they were now Christians and they were learning and they were raw and they, they needed to learn the basics. And here you've got some very advanced Christians here at this congregation. How would we, how would we function with 40 new members, all babes in Christ, That would be an exciting thing. But you know what? That would be the recipe for for Satan to come in and say, wait a minute now, you guys are better than them, or for them to think that they're better than us and to pit each other against each other. That would be a possibility. But that would be a wonderful thing. I think we would all say, bring them on. Bring Bring them. We want to teach them. We want to grow with them. We want to grow together. But that requires patience as outlined in James chapter 1. And verse 4. So maturity involves the importance of unity and working together. But secondly, maturity involves being forward-looking and being focused. And there are so many passages that we could talk about that we're not going to take the time to talk about. I'm thinking about Hebrews chapter 12, for example, where it talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus, being focused on him. Thinking about even here in Ephesians chapter 4 where some of that passage goes to. But I want us to go back to the text that our scripture reading was from. We will not reread those four or five verses, but I just want to highlight a couple of things about those passages. In, in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 15, at least in most of the versions that you and I are reading from, the word that is used here is as many are as mature in verse 15 of the text. Because mature people are instructed to have a particular mindset. So in verse 15, he says, have this mind. What kind of mind are we supposed to have? Well, context always helps us, right, in the study of God's word to appreciate the mind that we're supposed to have. And the mind is the mind of Jesus Christ, who, in verse 12, and Paul, who's the inspired writer, is talking about focused on the future, focused on doing the things that are important to do. I mentioned the mindset of Jesus, and our brother uh, Jason took us back to Philippians chapter 2 in the Lord's Supper talk this morning and did a good job of taking us back to the mindset of Jesus. But notice what happens here in verses 12 and in verse 14. He says, I am going to press on to the future. And he says that I am going to forget those things in the past. You know, it is no surprise to you uh, that this is my favorite text in the entire Bible. This is, uh, this is the go-to text for me when I get discouraged, when I think about the past, when I think about regrets, I think about mistakes. And whenever I'm talking with someone else, in fact, this came up in a Bible study just a few days ago with someone You've got to press forward to the future. No man, Jesus says, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, Luke chapter 9, is fit for the kingdom of God. 
because we are maturing Christians who look forward to the future. It doesn't mean we can't learn from the past. Indeed, we are instructed to learn from the past, which is why we read the things in the Old and the New Testaments. But when it comes to your past life, learn from your mistakes, but don't allow that regret or that guilt to drive you forward in the sense that it drags you down. When you think about maturity, mature Christians grow to maturity because they refuse to allow the world to distract them. I want to look at a passage in the book of Luke chapter 8, which you may already know where I'm going to. But in Luke chapter 8, we'll read just a couple of verses here. It says, this is the parable that the seed is the word of God, verse 11. This is the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. And there's so many different lessons that we learn about this. It says in verse 13, for example, that the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And they have no root, believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. But then watch what happens in verse 14. The ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Again, the word maturity being used there. Now, we would understand that because we're talking about farming or an agrarian term, the idea of growing to maturity, but the same is true spiritually as we think about being forward-looking and focused Christians. We as mature Christians, are also to be reminded that Jesus, again, has to be our focus. And I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, which I didn't put on the, on the screen, where in the New American Standard, I love the rendering where it says, fixing your eyes or fixing your mind on Jesus. But I want to look at an alternative passage here in the New Testament in the book of Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 28. Colossians 1 and verse 28 says, him... Jesus Christ, it's him, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, and what's the next word? In the New King James, it is perfect. You may have the word mature or complete in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Notice the words that he's using in verse 29. He uses the word striving. That's more than just a passive attempt at growing or maturing. It is I'm making it my goal to strive towards being what God wants me to be and to be who he wants me to be. And let me suggest to you something that We say uh, frequently, uh, it's a point that I try to make, that Satan doesn't necessarily have to get us to, quote, do wrong actively in order to keep us from doing what is right, but rather we need to acknowledge that one of the greatest tools and most effective tools of Satan is to get us to use things in the world to distract us from doing God's work, things that are maybe wholesome and okay, But if you focus too much on your work, which is a good thing to be focused on your work and to be a good employee, you lose sight of what really matters. Being involved in your family or in the community or in a club that uh, promotes good habits in the community. Those are all good things to be doing. But if we do that and we sacrifice Jesus as a result of that, then we have a sincere problem to deal with. Which brings me to my third and the final observation before we get to what about today. 
and that is mature people, mature Christians, growing, maturing Christians are grounded in God's word. Grounded in his word, appreciate his word, and study his word on a regular basis. A strong dependence on Bible study is a must for those of us who want to be mature. Sometimes we may be frustrated with ourselves and our own personal spiritual development and say, why am I not growing? Why am I not like Brother Smith or Sister Jones? And you can put in there whoever you want. I have in, in mind certain members. I'm like, wow, they're just spiritually mature. They have great Bible knowledge. And then sometimes I wonder, I wish I could be as mature as he is or as mature as she is. And then I have to stop and think, do I study my Bible as much as they study their Bibles? Christians can never, ever, ever be satisfied with what we already know. We may take a biblical aptitude test or a biblical knowledge test and do very well, and we'd be pleased with that. Uh, For example, just a few weeks ago, uh, some of you took a quiz on the book of Judges and uh, did fairly well, not because the teaching was that great, but because your knowledge of the book of Judges was well as a review for our study. But let's say you scored 20 out of 20. That doesn't mean that you say, well, I've, I've got the Bible completely settled. I've learned it all. I'm where I need to be. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, the Hebrew writer there talks on this subject, not about quizzes, but he does talk about the subject of maturity where he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the basics, which we all need, and we need to be reviewing those basics from time to time. He says, but go on to perfection or The word that is used there in some versions is maturity. Go on to maturity. Go on to learn more. Not laying again on the foundation of repentance from dead works, another faith toward God. And this we will do, verse 3, if God permits. And there's so much to be said about those three verses, verses 1, 2, and 3. But suffice it to say that God wants us to grow God wants us to learn, and we have to be the ones who put forth that effort. Let me suggest to you, furthermore, that mature Christians realize that just as we are learning more, it doesn't have to be something new or something fancy. We hear the same thing week in, week out. Every Lord's Day, every Wednesday, we're studying the same thing. And if you are fortunate to be alive 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years from now, you're going to be studying the same things that we study today. How many times, if you've been a Christian for, let's say, 35 years, how many times have you studied the book of Acts? My guess is, is it's been a dozen times that you've studied the book of Acts, and here we are, we're doing it again. And it's not because the elders say, we'll just run out of material, we'll just go back and do it again, I guess. No, it's because we continue to get new things out of the text and learn things from that text. It reminds me of a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, he says, My speech and my preaching are not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit of power, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are what? Who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, 
nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. You see, spiritual maturity is leaving the basics, Hebrews chapter 6, but always respecting the basics, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And sometimes that's a delicate balance. And I appreciate the work of preachers and the work of elders who go about doing that work and doing it in a very uh, well-mannered way. As Christians mature, we need to consider the fact that we need to be able to distinguish from right and wrong. Go back to Hebrews, this time to chapter 5, and I want to read three verses in Hebrews chapter 5. Because we are grounded in God's word, it makes it so that we are able to figure out what is right and what is wrong. And so in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, he says, For by this time, this is in the previous paragraph or the first section of the paragraph that blends into the chapter 6. He says, For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of, verse 14, of full age, or you may have the word in your margin or actually in the text, who are mature. Those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We are exercising ourselves and our minds and our hearts to be able to discern good and evil. And the only way to do that is to be rooted and grounded in God's word. Two other real quick passages that came to mind that I just wanted to throw up for consideration uh, and consider is, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. 1 John 4, verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then, of course, every young preacher, every old preacher, every member of the Lord's church needs to be familiar with the concept of 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says, Timothy, you need to be careful because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There's a time coming where people are not going to be satisfied with going back to this book. I've studied the book of Acts 12 times in my life. How many times do I have to study this? That's the wrong attitude. And, I, and I'm, I'm here to suggest and speculate that not anybody would have that attitude. That two years from now or whenever the case is and we roll around and we study the book of Acts again, we'll say, I'm glad to study that book because that's got good stuff in it. They will turn their ears away from the truth, verse 4, be turned aside to fables. So you be watchful in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. What is verse 5 asking us to do? In two words, be mature, and to be maturing Christians. But what about today? How does this affect us? And I want to get very specific, and the things that I'm about to suggest uh, may be a little uncomfortable as we close out our study together today. I want to go back to where we began and even to where Brother Matt's prayer was. And that is, what happens when someone else is able to do a task or a job and they're better at it than you? Do you use that as an opportunity to build them up? Or is that an opportunity to tear them down? Because sometimes human nature, and we are humans, 
Yes, we are Christians who are trying to uh, supersede that natural response. Sometimes we get to a place where we say, well, he's a good song leader, but not always. Yeah, he's a good preacher, but sometimes a little bit long-winded. Or a good Bible class teacher, but sometimes a little bit over our head or sometimes too basic. Rather, we need to celebrate the differences that we have and the diversity, which is a word that David used in our Bible class this morning. Here we are, February of 2022. If you're keeping count, this is month number 24, I think. We will hit 25 very soon of us dealing with some of the most unpleasant experiences of our lives physically because of a virus and spiritually because of the toll it's taken on some churches. Someone else doesn't believe in the efficacy of a certain medical practice or maybe a vaccine. See, now I've got your attention. And we have individuals who have different feelings on the vaccine in this congregation. Are there congregations in the United States or elsewhere in the world that have gone divided and split apart because of a different belief on this? And the answer is yes. Are there at the very least some Christians who say, I've got to be right. You have to have my feeling. It is the right thing to do It is not the right thing to do. And I'm not picking one side or another. I just randomly went right before I went left. But you see the point that I'm trying to make is I don't have to be right. If you feel that it's necessary for you, that's fine. If you feel it's not necessary for you, that's fine. But do we have to argue over it? And do we have to get to a place where we are mean-spirited? And there have been conversations that have happened that are on on, on on the cusp of it if we just aren't careful, and we need to be cautious about that. And the same is true when we come to strongly different opinions regarding masks. I hope that a year from now or two years from now, we don't ever have to hear of COVID protocol and mask this and vaccine this. I, I, I think we all say, yes, we've had enough of it. 24 months is enough of it. We may be dealing with it for some time. What about someone who has a strongly different opinion? How do you deal with them on that? My point is simply this. We are trying to be spiritually mature. And a mature Christian says, you know what? I may not agree with you on that, but that's okay. I'm still going to be respectful of the fact that you disagree with me or I disagree with you. Because we're focused on something bigger than COVID. We're focused on something bigger than vaccines and masks and physical health and even this life itself. We are focused on Jesus. And did we not point out in our second point, That spiritually mature people, as rendered in Colossians 1, in Philippians 3, and in Ephesians chapter 4, are people who are focused on the future. Let's be real mature people. And let this compliment, real mature, let that compliment be said of you and me by those in the world and certainly by our brothers and sisters. I know that this is not the most comfortable thing to talk about. Believe me, I wasn't really looking forward to it, but I thought it was necessary at least to talk about for a moment and to think about the fact that we've got to always work together. 
It reminds me so much of an elder for whom I have a lot of respect. Uh, He's still alive. He's no longer serving as an elder. But he always went to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 where it talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And he said, I believe that is the single most important objective as my job as as a pastor, as a shepherd. Endeavoring to keep the unity. And when you see any crack in that unity, it should make us a little bit sick to our stomach and say, I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I want to work to get us back where we need to be. And I hope that that's your goal this morning. This is a church that is a mature and maturing church. And we are fortunate to be a part of a group that is strong and united. But let us be more united in the future than even in the past. And let us grow together in service to our God. If you want to be a member of the church, if you want to join the Lord's church, only God adds you to it. And so you have to do it on his terms. We're not talking about you being added to this body, though if that would be the case, we'd love to have you as a part of the work at Northfield Boulevard. We're talking about the Lord's church in a very generic, general, universal sense. We're based upon your belief that Jesus is the Christ, that your confession of that belief and your repentance that you can have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. We'll baptize you today if those are the things that you've studied and that you've come to the conclusion that that's something you need to do. If you want to study further, we stand ready to help you in that process. If as a Christian you are not as mature as you need to be and you need to work on that, do so privately. Pray to God or reach out to a handful, two or three Christians and say, here's what I'm struggling with. If it's something you want the prayers of the entire uh, group of brethren, then come forward and let us know. If we can help you and strengthen you, let us know while we stand and sing at this time.